0: This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.
1: Hello and welcome to this bonus episode from For Tech Seek. You may have already listened to our episode on how small startups become big tech behemoths and how that scaling cycle continues today. And if you heard our expert David Singleton, the Chief Technology Officer at Stripe, in that episode, you likely wanted to hear more from him, especially if you yourself are an entrepreneur, aspiring or otherwise, or a team leader looking for advice and guidance, this is one for you. David, as I said, is a CTO of Stripe, a fintech and payments company you have definitely interacted with if you have ever bought anything online. And this international tech business was founded by Ireland's own John and Patrick Collison. David is also an Irishman who spent years on the engineering team in Google before he joined Stripe. In this expanded discussion, you can hear more about how Stripe itself helps small companies to scale and compete with much bigger entities, and what David thinks about the no-code revolution and the implications of generative AI writing code instead of engineers. And if you've already heard the main episode with David, we'll let you know the parts you might want to skip to in the show notes. Otherwise, enjoy and come back next week for an all-new episode.
2: David, thanks so much joining it's us a pleasure, today. and uh, it must be nice being back in ireland it's
3: always great to be back home yes um uh, and we got lovely weather this week for the tech summit and this trip so I'm yeah very not, happy to not, be not here. the
2: usual case so i mean it is a blessing for sure um, but just to give uh, our listeners a little bit of your background, so I'd mentioned that you were 12, 11, 12 years at Google um, mm-hmm. and you've been many years now at Stripe. So what did you work on at Google and what do you work on now at Stripe?
3: Yeah, well, actually, just to go all the way back, I grew up in Belfast um, and uh, I learned to program when I was a kid because my parents had a small business um, and the computer came into our home because, you know, real business people have computers, um, but we didn't really know what to do with it. So they they said, hey, David, could you you know, build us an invoice system. Uh, So as a teenager, I think a lot of teenagers back then were, you know, playing computer games or whatever, I learned to program so that I could build an invoice system for my parents' business. Um, And it was really great because um, I was used to them doing this all with pen and paper. Um, And so about once every three months, I guess, they would all, they'd stay up super late and be really grumpy because they had to get all the accounts off to the accountant. Um, And once we built the invoice system, they could press a button and it all kind of popped out of the printer. Uh, so that really kind of got me excited about software because it can help solve real problems for like, people. Um, and so I went on to study computer science at university. I uh, went over to England for that. Cambridge. Um, yes, indeed. Not just any university. It, yeah. And that was fun. Um, learned a lot there, which was useful. Um, uh, met lots of really uh, you know, great people working, uh, all learning the same stuff at the same time. Um, and then I was really lucky to go from university into working for a company called Symbian who built mobile phone operating system software for smartphones but before smartphones were really a thing Um, and the cool thing about that experience was I did a few different things there but one of the things I did was I worked as a technical consultant and I was essentially doing the same project which was turning the Symbian OS software into an actual mobile phone handset with lots of different software teams from companies like Nokia, Samsung but also doing it all around the world so I got to travel a lot which was fun but in particular I got to see how engineering teams work in very different cultural ways to accomplish the same goals. And it turns out that there are so many different ways of doing things in this industry. Uh, To give you an example, the teams at Samsung, they really cared a lot about moving very fast. So they would actually get two teams to work on the same project. And whoever was finished first, they were the ones that actually got to ship. Uh, Whereas in Nokia, it was all very kind of carefully planned out. Um, And as you can probably imagine, one of them, the Nokia one, was kind of much more deterministic. You'd always kind of get there in the end um, and you know exactly what you're going to get. The teams at Samsung tended to actually, and this is a long time ago, so I'm sure things have changed there a lot now, they tended to um, actually come up with kind of newer ideas and and, and different ways of doing things. So it was great to take that experience of just seeing how things can be done differently into the rest of my career. Um, I spent a long time at Google, um, joined them in London, and then eventually that took me over to California, um, and I did a lot of different things there. But I've been at Stripe for uh, about five and a half years. Um, and I, I love working at Stripe because we are building economic infrastructure for the internet. And you know, fundamentally what that means is we are building software tools that make it possible for companies to get started, um, in many cases companies that wouldn't otherwise get started because you can start very easily with Stripe to bring money into any kind of new internet business or even offline business today. Um, And a lot of businesses that are getting started, they actually just need to prove that there are people in the world that are willing to pay for the thing that they want to do. And so oftentimes um, some of the the most successful companies that we see scale, they kind of started as little experiments and ideas where uh, the founder was really kind of trying to validate, is there a need for this thing in the world at all? So we help companies get started that in many cases wouldn't otherwise get started. And we do that by providing infrastructure that means that the small companies in the world, the, the founders, can actually get access to the world's financial system in the same way um, that incumbents and large enterprises can. The other really cool thing is we've been doing this for some time, and we're very focused on uh, businesses that are scaling. Um, and we learn from those businesses what they need that's different in the you know the later days from what they needed when they got started. And actually, a lot of what I've just been talking about at the Tech Summit is lessons that we've learned at Stripe and we've seen in in other companies as they grew. Um, And today at Stripe, we serve businesses from the very, very small, but also up to the very, very large. So that includes companies like Amazon, for instance. Um, We help them with a bunch of their payments uh, solutions. Um, And obviously companies like that didn't start with us when they were startups, but what we uh, do today kind of brings uh, a lot of impact across all of that. And uh, in terms of my role at Stripe, I'm CTO, so um, that's Chief Technical Officer. I spend um, a lot of my time thinking about not only you know what should we be building, which means talking to a lot of our users, those are the businesses building on Stripe to understand what they need, but also how do we work internally so that we can have um, you know really just the best environment for folks that want to come and build these solutions that help real people out there who are trying to get stuff done with their own businesses. So it's, it's a lot of fun.
2: And it almost seems predestined if you were making invoice software for your parents as a kid. Did you put that on your CV for Stripe?
3: <laughs> um, I don't know that I did, honestly, but I think it's a good point. I, um, when I became aware of Stripe, um, it kind of did kind of tickle that little memory for me of that particular project. Um. And I've been very privileged to work with our team building invoices at Stripe, and seeing, you know, many of the the, the reasons that I I saw the thing that I built back as a teenager, which by the way was really not very uh, advanced compared to, to, to what uh, anyone needs or what we do we do today, but see kind of like that that rhyming, I guess, of the, the problems to be solved. Um, and so, yeah, it, it did definitely come full circle.
0: And Stripe is sort of seen in the media as a disruptor in itself. Is that how you see it yourself, as this sort of disruptive force? And, and as you said, when you kind of came to know it? We,
3: we really see our role as helping businesses kind of abstract over, the complexity of the world's financial systems. Uh, So in many cases, that means that they can do things that they otherwise wouldn't be able to. Um, And there is actually a lot of complexity in the world's financial systems in general. So if you think about money, it's actually a very cultural thing, right? Um, Every country tends to have its own central bank, It tends to have um, some elements of uh, both how the systems work before software came along, but also how it works with software that are particularly local. Um, you'll find different ways of paying um, are prevalent even in different countries across Europe. Um, in Germany, there's a lot more kind of bank payments done by consumers than you would find, for instance, in Ireland. Um, and so it's it's great for us to be able to say, look, it's really complicated out there, um, but if you're a business that wants to be able to focus on what you uniquely do really well, then integrate Stripes APIs or use Stripes products and we will provide you a very simple solution that goes across all of that. And that's that speaks a lot to kind of what we think about it every day, which is how can we provide engineering leverage to these companies that are building on Stripe with Stripe? Um, so, you know, every business, most businesses that have any software component, you go talk to them and they say, "Oh, my biggest problem is I just don't have enough engineers. Like I don't have enough ability to build all the things that I can, you know, see, you know, immediately in front of me that I'd like to be able to to to, to solve for." And so we find that when uh, those businesses can work with us, they are able to take the same people and put them on something that only their business needs to focus on and we can can solve some of those problems. And actually bringing that forward to um, thinking about how companies can scale effectively, something that we are really excited to do and have actually been somewhat surprised by is we have a lot of our products today. We got started as an API based company. So that's a company where you have to write code to integrate with Stripe in order to, uh, to use the services. That's how we started. But over time, we've started to make more of our products available in no-code and low-code ways. So, for instance, if you create a Stripe account today, you can actually get started um, bringing in your first revenue, you know, your first euros using a payment link. You share that as a link and someone can go to a fully hosted UI um, where we're kind of really optimizing what's going on behind the scenes. You can get money in really easily. You don't have to write a single line of code. Um, if you're a subscriptions business, you can put a pricing table on your website, again, with just a pricing table you create very quickly on Stripe. Those products have been awesome to enable folks that maybe don't have developers to get started on Stripe. But what we've actually found is they're also super useful for companies that do have lots of engineers um, and are um, able to write the code. But a kind of big lesson for how to scale is don't write the code that you don't have to. Um, so you can, uh, you can integrate Stripe or many other services to take care of you know parts of what your business needs to do um, that you don't need to do yourself. Um, and then our fairly unique approach at Stripe is every single one of our no-code experiences. It also plays really nicely with our API. So if you want to come along later and add, you know, deeper connection to parts of your product stack or whatever, um, that's possible too. So it turns out no-code experiences are actually super useful to developers, um, and that surprised us honestly. Um, and uh, you know, we've been delighted to learn that, and then kind of doubled on in that lesson over the last the last couple of years
2: there's an element of like it is maybe not disruption but modernization that's happening here because I imagine from when you built that first piece of invoicing software to Mm -hmm. the invoicing software that you built at Stripe invoicing probably hadn't changed much as a concept but you just created the tools to do it more digitally and more seamlessly and then moving towards no code and low code is very responsive to what business needs are now and I'm interested though about that point about the engineers kind of being a bit delighted by no code are they a bit afraid of it as well because does it threaten engineering roles and engineering as like a division in, in small businesses?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I'd say that's w- one of the reasons that we were surprised is how much developers, engineers inside of the companies that we're working with really did kind of lean in and embrace the no-code solutions because I guess I had a bit of a mental model of, well, folks are going to want to write code in this space, but actually because so many businesses find that the their engineering bandwidth is the limiting factor Um, it really does make sense for them to say, we need more engineers. We're always running out of bandwidth to do these things. So um, being able to adopt a solution that means they can then focus on the core of their business um, and the things that only they can do has really resonated. And then to to build on your point, um, very frequently when businesses come to Stripe today, what they will ask for help with is they're, they're maybe going through what they would think of as a digital transformation. So they're taking... Um, business models that have been established, um, you know, over the last twenty years, thirty years. and um, thinking about ways to bring those um, into, uh, you know, c- certainly online and uh, and kind of supercharge their development for the next several years. So that, they'll often call that digital transformation. And we're always delighted to help um, businesses that are, you know, thinking about how they, they they should kind of tackle these challenges. Um, to figure out the right way to do that for them. Um, example of that for instance irish life um we work really closely with them they first came to us um with a particular um, app that they wanted to build a kind of investments app and it was kind of fairly obvious that there was a a stripe use case there using the payment stack but then as we got deeper and started working with their engineering teams we started talking about things like this like you know how do we operate the most effectively how do we make the best use of all the engineering uh, talent we've got and then it turns out that there are lots more um ways that you know uh, a company like that can use stripe um and that's actually something else that I was just talking about at the Tech Summit today. Um, one of the things that, is, that we think is really valuable at Stripe is we work hard to make sure that our products work well together. So it's, it's much more useful um, if, for instance, you are using um, our payment solution and you adopt invoicing that they work well together. They have the same concept of, of a customer, for instance. Um, if you're using Stripe's online payments, then you should be able to use Stripe's terminal, that's our in-person payment solution, um, and it should work really well together. Um, and actually accomplishing that as companies scale, making their products work well together, it takes a lot of thought and a lot of energy, um, but I think it does deliver very significant value for your customers. Um, and so, I mean, the way that we think about that at Stripe um, is something that we call having sensible architecture. So that means getting the design of the systems right, um, and I mean, software architecture, it's a little bit like building architecture. Um, uh, it's more like the kind of architecture you need to get in place to make a, a very large building work well, and that you need to make sure you've got the right foundations. Um, and then you wanna make sure that you can use those kind of foundational components in different ways, flexibly, to make then the things that you might see at the, at the top of the building actually work together. So to give you a concrete example, um, we have a set of product infrastructure inside of Stripe. We actually call it our global payments and treasury network. It's basically the engine that makes money movement on Stripe work well. All the ways money moves in, the ways we, we hold money on behalf of our users and account for it and so forth, and all the ways the money moves out. And we worked really hard to get the right concepts modeled there, things like what is an account, what is a transaction. And then that means that, um, for instance, Radar, our solution for payments fraud, its understanding of what is a transaction is the same thing as uh, Stripe Tax, which is our product for calculating VAT and other forms of sales tax. And if you get this right, then you are able to make the products work well together. But really crucially, you can also have teams of engineers that are able to collaborate um, much more effectively because it turns out the best way to build software is to have small teams collaborating. We can talk more about why that is in a second. but if you want small teams to collaborate in such a way that it all builds up to something that works well together, you have to actually get the the pieces that they're building on top of working well too. And so you have to have a small team there focused on just this core concept and getting it right. It's like building the right foundations for for the the opera house or whatever.
2: And you're you're big on that foundation being coming coming from a small team. Like that's not a new development for you. That's something that you've kind of seemed to have held as a long belief. So so why is that? Why is it all about small teams for you?
3: Yeah. So. Small teams work much more effectively together than large teams, mostly because of how many uh, lines of communication you have to have between people. So if you have two people working together, there's just one line of communication and those people need to like understand each other and be able to communicate well to get stuff done. If you had a third person, you've got three lines of communication, but if you had a fourth, um, it turns out that you actually, I think, have uh, something like eight different lines of communication between all the pairs, right? And it actually grows with the square of the number of people. So. As you add one person to your team, you don't just add you know, one incremental kind of unit of it being more difficult to collaborate together. You add like many more lines of communication. So small teams work really effectively together. Of course, there's a limit to what you know, five people can do uh, in the world in general. So as you build a company, you're gonna want to have 20, 50, 100, 1,000 engineers maybe, um, but you have to figure out how to get the, the units of the small teams right so that Each team has one thing to work on that they understand really well um, and then should have the right foundations to build on top of to deliver that thing. And that creates an organization that can get a ton more done than an organization where everyone has to collaborate with everyone else in order to move forward. Now that's not to say that I don't think that talking to each other and sharing ideas and so forth is super important, it is. But when you figure out how to structure your work so that you have individual teams that own a specific thing um, and then have a really clear interface to other teams it actually unlocks a tremendous amount of productivity
2: yeah it sounds like it's not about having silos or anything like that mm-hmm. but it's about focused work
3: exactly that. essentially so yeah. you're
2: not answerable to loads of other things when you're trying to focus on your task that's, that's
0: the responsibility of your team
3: exactly that yeah.
0: I would presume as well that, um, again, not silos so much as kind of little pods that work together, but that's kind of creating a single line then between the teams themselves, as opposed to every single person has to talk to everybody. Is that kind of the, the collaboration part? That that's right.
3: In? You start to think about the problem you're solving almost like a jigsaw. And then like, how can we cut up this jigsaw into pieces that will fit really well together? So they have to have the right interfaces between the teams, but where each individual piece you know, covers a, a very well-defined space and then that kind of covers the whole thing that you're trying to get done. Um, and yeah, it's a lot of fun to try to figure this out as, as companies grow. Um, uh, in the very early days, it actually makes sense not to think about this a lot because you want to just run as fast as you can and find product market fit is what we often call it in the industry. It just means you're building something that customers actually want. It's um, that kind
0: of startup mentality, I would imagine. Exactly. Yeah. And
3: so then it makes sense to just you know move as fast as you can And in fact, you'll often hear, I talked about kind of getting sensible architecture. In the very early days, um, it often makes sense to mostly ignore that and just like plug things together that you need to plug together to satisfy the next request um, from a potential customer because you want to see, does this actually work for them? You'll often hear that described as building up tech debt. And what we mean by tech debt is you're gonna have to come back later and, and redo some of that in order to get it right. Now, different companies at different points of scale the kind of tricky thing is like at what point should you go back and actually start addressing that and getting those sensible architectures in place at stripe i think we've taken a slightly different approach than you'll find in a lot of companies because we knew that we were building an api first product from the early days um our founders and the the early team they really recognized that they needed to get some of these like core primitives right they knew that the the idea of what is a credit card um in our API that's going to get encoded into all of our customers code because they're literally integrating our API into what they're doing. And then it's going to be like that for a long, long time. We we knew that we needed to kind of get it right and be able to move gradually and iteratively. So the early Stripe team actually rewrote the Stripe API um, once they'd Shown it to a few users and realized, yeah, this thing's going to work. Um, and that has stood the test of time for us very well. It's only now, you know, more than a decade into the company, that we're kind of feeling like it's the right time to start thinking about some of those things again. Um, so, for companies that are growing, I think it really does make sense to try and figure out what, what is the nature of our kind of core primitives and at what point do we want to uh, take a step aside and figure out you know, how do we get those right for the, for the following uh, decades.
2: And how do you balance building a team that way when you're scaling? Because we're not you're not at the startup stage, certainly not with Stripe. It's definitely scale up. It's it's a few thousand employees.
3: Yeah, we've got about seven thousand employees yeah. now.
2: So obviously, with that many small teams, you need small supervisors, team leads. Like a lot of middle management, which su- which some companies are now gooding in tech mm-hmm. um, and saying that they're they're not part of their year of efficiency, to quote one CEO. And um, so, how do you guys manage? your scaling company, structuring it really well to sustain it as possibly a big tech company that may reach tens of thousands of employees eventually?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, having good managers, great managers is really important. Um, and, you know, I think of the role of engineering managers in particular as they they really are bringing it all together in order to, to help maximize the impact of the team. At Stripe, I think the thing that, that we find most consistently valuable there is to make sure that especially those managers, but really everyone on the team is staying very close to users um, as we grow. So um, in the early days, we were able to find that really strong product market fit because everything we were doing, we were iterating very closely with users. These are people building with our products, with our APIs. Um, and we worked very hard to have a very tight feedback loop. So if a user was to tell us about a problem they were experiencing, we wanted to be able to fix that problem and put something back in their hands for their feedback um, on the same day. Um, and. We've actually worked really hard to try to preserve that kind of close connection to users as we scale, um, and bringing that user context into everything that these small teams are doing is a really important, you know, role of the manager and of others uh, around the the organization. Um, and we try to be very conscious of how to do that, um, and part of that is. Obviously, when you grow, hopefully that success has come from serving many, many people. So you're going to have you know, tens of thousands or more users. You can't talk to everyone all the time because uh, there's just not time for that. But it is important to kind of figure out who are the right users to be talking to a lot um, so that you can bring their needs and their insights into that product development loop. Um, and we do this, and I mean, it's something we talk about a lot today. So it's not just something that we... I think you do have to be quite intentional to not let that kind of fall away as you grow because it's the most natural thing in the world as you have more people around you who work for the same company to talk to each other and, you know, you want to riff off of each other's ideas and you should have a great, you know, network of supporting each other. But it's really important not to lose touch with the folks that actually need your products and benefit from them. Um, and so we have been quite intentional about that at Stripe. Um, when we find a user that we think is, you know, kind of strategically align with us, like their success and our success are coupled together in whichever space we're working in. We'll bring them in really close. Like we'll have a shared Slack channel with them. Um, We'll meet with them on Zoom periodically. Um, And we we kind of do exactly what I said at the start, which is we evolve the product with them. Um, We'll listen very carefully to what they need. um, And then we will try to build that, put it back in their hands for their feedback. So actually Stripe's business and product strategy can really be distilled in two words, which are users first. Um, And that really means running that loop in the right places across the company as often as we can. Um, And I talked a little bit about that at the Tech Summit today as well. Um, You have to work hard to keep that kind of time to spend with your customers, with your users, sacrosanct. Um, And then the folks that are talking to, to users need to work pretty hard to distribute what they've learned to everyone else across the company. Um, and I really enjoy doing that. It's always fun, actually, here in Dublin this week, I'm really looking forward to spending a bunch of time uh, with users who have built big businesses here on Stripe. Um, and there, there are a ton of great Irish businesses um, that have built on Stripe. For instance, um, TrustApp, which is a company based in Cork, um, they've built this, um, this system that allows you to transact with trust, um, but with strangers. So they hold the, the money in escrow. Um, And they use a bunch of Stripe products. They use Stripe Identity to verify that the people are um, who they say they are. Um, They use our payment element to have a great payments experience on the web. Um, But I'm just really excited to see how they've been able to scale to now 130 countries um, using, um, you know, a lot of the tools that we've built. Um, And it's great on trips like this to be able to speak to companies like that.
0: And working with the Collison brothers Mm -hmm. who are both very technical leaders themselves, what's that like?
3: Great fun. They, they are both very technical, um, which uh, they're also extremely user focused. Um, so the great thing about working with with both John and Patrick is that into any conversation, they will usually bring um, a lot of context of what they've learned from businesses building on Stripe um, in both recent days um, and over the course of a longer period of time. Um, and I think that really kind of grinds everything we're doing. Um, they're also great technologists um, and scientists you know, really, really care a lot about bringing um, a rigorous and meticulous kind of method into what we do. And that means that at Stripe, we're able to really spend a lot of energy thinking about some of the stuff I've just been talking to you about, You know, getting the sensible architecture in place at the right time, um, making sure that our products actually, you know, we, we often th- think things through from first principles at Stripe. So rather than just kind of take what everyone else is doing off the shelf. We'll talk to lots of other companies, so peer companies, not just our users and kind of learn what's working well, but then we'll, we'll tend to say, well, let's take it back to what our users actually need and are we building in the right way um, to solve their problems. Um, and that's what's led us into, for instance, investing in the no code and low code solutions that I talked about earlier. Um, By the way, talking to other companies is also what's led us into using AI um, in a big way over the course of the last uh, six months to a year. So I'm really excited about what AI techniques can do to enable developers to, it's actually very similar to what I just said with low code and no code. It's like, don't write the code that you don't need to. So um, at Stripe, we've recently adopted uh, GitHub Copilot. Um, It's kind of like a really smart auto suggest for writing code. Um, So it uses these new AI techniques, large language models um, to write parts of the code that we find very time-saving. One of the things that we invest a lot in, and maybe I'll talk more about in a second at Stripe is reliability. Um, In order to do that, we have lots of tests that that cover our entire code base. Um, And writing tests is a relatively laborious task, Um, but you end up kind of writing a lot of code that describes the scenario or gets you into the scenario you wanna test. And then the point where you have to really think very hard and have a lot of inspiration is just the the very specific case itself. We find tools like Copilot great for writing all that, call it boilerplate, the stuff that that you have to write but you don't have to put as much thought into, it can kind of produce automatically and that produces a great experience for developers but also a lot more productivity. Um, We're bringing those kind of techniques to our own products as well. Um, We have a product called Stripe Sigma um, it's our analytics product, so it allows you to write SQL queries. Those, that's a kind of database um, query language um, against, you can write these queries against all of your financial data on Stripe, and it gives you like real insights about your business. Things like, um, if you want to figure out which product is selling best in the Netherlands last week, you can write a SQL query for that, or you know which country is growing the most, or which payment method should, should I be investing more in. Um, the point is, it's really powerful. But if you want to use it, you do need to know how to write SQL queries and not everyone in the world knows how to do that. Um, Well, we're working on a product called um, our Sigma Assistant and what it can do is you can actually type questions you want to get answered about your business in natural language. It generates that query in that particular, you know, markup language or or computer language Um, and then you get the results right there. Um, And we're excited about that because it makes it possible for folks. I mean, Copilot obviously is helping engineers write code less because they can then focus their energy in, in certain places. Uh, the Sigma Assistant is helping folks that wouldn't have been able to write code to actually get the value out, and so excited about both of those. Um, it's also been great actually just to work with a bunch of AI companies who are building on Stripe for our core services uh, to make use of them because they're great examples of companies that, are, that's, that space is evolving so quickly. Every engineer in those companies needs to be focused on the core. So if we can help them Uh, grow the commerce side of their business globally then you know that's a great benefit for them and it's been great to work with a a bunch of them.
2: I'm so glad to hear you talking about AI in that assistive Mm -hmm. capacity like it's not writing off jobs it's not replacing any work it is speeding things up but Mm -hmm. obviously it helps with your mentality of keeping people focused on the important task at hand not the repetitive stuff that could be you know done by a boilerplate AI and and then the experienced hand comes in and refines that. So uh, it's, it's really great to hear that that's the way you're using it and not just trying to get rid of your engineers for the sake of AI co-pilots. Um, and I just wanted to know as well, just kind of coming back around to this startup mentality into a scale up. What strikes me is that you the things that you talk about, this kind of staying close to users and um, being quite agile, keeping your teams lean, even if the company itself is quite large, you still have a lot of startup mentality there. This is all how you create a startup. This is all the instructions that you get from the guides out Mm -hmm. there. So how long do you think you can sustain that? Like, does the company keep growing with a startup mentality mindset even when it's at 10,000 people, 100 billion valuation?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, I think my job is literally to make sure that it never stops. Um, I think that it's not inevitable that as companies grow, they get slower. There are lots of examples out there where that's true, but it really isn't inevitable. I think that paying attention to these things that we've just been talking about, especially getting the right sensible architecture, structuring teams so that you have a bunch of small teams that can stay close to users, I think that can scale all the way up to the biggest companies in the world. Um, it's, It's just that you have to be very conscious to hold that true as you grow.
2: That's brilliant,
0: David. Thanks so much.
3: Cool. Pleasure.
0: For Tech's Sake is a co-production from Silicon Republic and the Headstuff Podcast Network, hosted by Elaine Burke and Jenny Darmody. Thank you to Megan Fox for production, Matt Mahan and Dolly for our graphics, Claudia Grandes for her social media support and all at the Headstuff team. You can follow us at For Tech's Sake Pod on your platform of choice or let us know what you think via fortechsigpod at gmail.com. As a Headstuff Podcast Network member, you get access to bonus content from across the network. So do check out some of our sister shows and give them your support as well. And tune in next week for a new episode.